Hi, I'm Diana. And I'm Susanna. And you're listening to Global Caveat, the podcast where we demystify global health. Today's episode is about education and health communications. With guest Kiona, an entrepreneur and activist with a PhD in nutrition epidemiology. In this episode, we are talking with Kiona about how science has influenced her way of thinking and how it's important to make sure that we are communicating information effectively. There are a few references to the previous episode we did with her talking about nutritional epidemiology. At the end of the previous episode, we were discussing how Kiona has stepped away from academia for a bit because of the manipulation of statistics and mass media and news outlets and how there is a major issue surrounding accessibility and ethics in health sciences. Uh, So we are picking up here with an example of how news sources modify statistics in headlines and articles, which ultimately increase the spread of misinformation. But before we do that, we are going to have Kiona reintroduce herself before we move on. Yeah, um, so my name's Kiona, Dr. Kiona. Since we're doing science podcasts, I never introduce myself that way. But so I got my PhD in nutritional sciences. I have a master's in statistics and data sciences, master's in nutritional epidemiology, and um, a bachelor's in sports medicine. Um, and you can reach me at how not to travel like a basic bitch.com and the Instagram how not to travel like a basic bitch. Same on Facebook, same on Twitter. So, so. Do you have a concrete example, not from your own um, experience, um, just because I don't want to like, <laughs> this is Kiona's experience, but um, maybe just anything that you've heard of or in the past that you've maybe investigated or saw or heard of that was like, yeah, that was like the way that the data was collected or even what you just mentioned about like manipulation or things like that, where that happened and a lot of general public's understanding has been skewed? Yeah, it's a good question. Hmm. So I actually taught this entire class on like how I had students find, uh, well, I want to say I co-taught, I didn't teach it by myself. We had students find media articles and statistics on nutrition, and then we made them compare it to the actual scientific article that they referenced in Time Magazine or the New York Times or all of these like credible in quotes like media sites. And so we found the original publication and then it was their job to analyze the publication and see if the media article matched up to what they actually said. So in that process, there was like one, let's like take a kind of inconsequential example, but wine. So wine, drinking a glass of wine a day will like prolong your life, I think was like one of the headlines. And it was really a study on resveratrol, which is a nutrient in red wine. And it was not about red wine. It was about resveratrol specifically. And it, okay, resveratrol does exist in red wine and it is a huge source of it. But the study wasn't on wine. It was on resveratrol, which is different. And then the student realized that the population wasn't, I don't know who it was. It was like a specific age group and it was only a specific ethnicity. And I think it was like taking pills of resveratrol, attributing it to, I don't even know how they like measured life. But basically in that, not only were the stats kind of strange in that no one takes pills of resveratrol and resveratrol doesn't exist in those levels in real life. 
So the process in which like introducing that or even attributing it to red wine would be like incorrect because that would never occur in real life. And then also like, you know, saying it prolongs your life or even like really attributing it to life expectancy without introducing confounding factors. Like there's no way this pill is going to like act on its own to expand your life. There's a lot of things that like go into it you know, history of disease or salary or, you know, nutritional status, like all of that stuff. If you're going to do a life expectancy, then you have to do a survival stat, which is like not the stat that they were doing. They were doing correlations. Okay, you can't do correlations if you're introducing time. It's like so different. Like they were doing the wrong statistics. And then they came up with this like conclusion, which was like resveratrol may prolong life. And then it ends up in time or wherever. Um, but it's like red wine will prolong your life if you drink a glass a day or whatever. And it's just like those kind of things like bother me so bad because it's like it's so irresponsible. And people, you know, people will read that and like go off with it and like right. make entire like, yeah, products. Yeah, more red yeah, wine now. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. That's a great example. I think it's so. Yeah. I've actually written an article about resveratrol and red wine before, so I think it's pretty interesting that you happen to use that as your example. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. What was your article about? It was basically just saying that there is an antioxidant compound, resveratrol, that's found in red wine and that the specific compound could be beneficial to you, but probably won't really be effective because it's not, as you were just saying, present in large enough concentrations, right? And that it doesn't make red wine healthier. But I mean, red wine could be healthier. It's neither here nor there, but you can drink it if you want. This compound might be there, not necessarily going to make you healthier. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's not going to make me live five years longer, right? No. I mean, not to get <laughs> all like dark and philosophical, but we're all just going to live until we're not living, right? Life's just life. <laughs> like, you never know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Even if you like can find some way to manipulate telomeres, like, literally anything can happen. Uh. Anyway, <laughs> I haven't had science talk like this in like a long time. Like it's been a, a while. I don't know how you guys feel, but I was in um, academia for like seven years, right? Like a long time. And I felt like I was only talking to other academics. And there was a point in time when I was super snooty about it where I was like, oh, I just can't talk to these peasants. Like if we're not talking <laughs> at the same level, then like I cannot discuss anything because I also was using like my stats in regular life where I was like, mm. you know, analyzing like the methods of everything everything and I was explaining how like things are wrong or like you know I don't know my mom's like building a house and I'm just like questioning her methodology and like she's like what are you even talking about I'm like I just can't even talk to you right now like you're just not on my level you know um yeah so I realized that not everybody speaks like this especially starting the platform that I did I realized breaking things down is super super necessary and like having language be attainable like even language is like a form of privilege where you can speak at like levels with each other and like understand like basic things but like for example like I use the word anthropometric so without even explaining that because I'm just in another world but like that's like a privilege in mind that I need to check and so making words and education accessible has been a learning process for me because and like the platform actually helps me with that because it points out places that like not everybody has access to or not words people don't have access to or like knowledge that people don't have access to and I didn't realize that at the time because everyone I was around had access to it that makes sense Mm -hmm. I think well 
I mean, there's a huge community of science communicators on Instagram. And I don't know, I'm starting to think, like, with what you're saying, you know, really breaking things down. Communication in science is super important. Like, if we want to affect change, a lot of that has to come with scientists being able to really explain things to people in a way that's relatable. (laughs) And if people can't relate to you, then how do you expect them to understand you? Yeah. Um, And how are you going to understand them is the thing, too. So I think I like what you said in the beginning about how your platform, in a lot of ways, your methods are scientific, but it doesn't seem that way because you've grown to really talk to people in a way that doesn't seem scientific. Yeah, for sure. That's been a learning process. I mean, like, literally for the past three days, I've been covering religion, but, like, trying to introduce... I guess to me, it's mathematics. So like you learn in like basic stats, like A plus B equals C. And like if A equals B and C equals D, then like B plus D equals whatever. Anyway, but like you assign these logical arguments to things, which like then creates an assumption of like, well, then this must equal this. So that's how I think about things in my brain. And then I have to like translate them to be accessible because I find that like, even in my like religion talk, I like related it to string theory, which is physics and like, like quantum physics. And I don't know, I was just like, I don't even know why I use this analogy because... This is even, like, more difficult to, like, explain how, like, religion is similar to, like, string theory and I don't know, but it's just how I think now. And, like, I'm really grateful for, like, graduate school to, like, introducing that train of thought. And so that's why I always encourage people that, like, I... It's hard for me to encourage people to go to graduate school because of, like, the hardship that I endured. And you guys probably know more than anybody (laughs) the hardships that you go through just to get a PhD. It's not even about being smart. It's just about being, like, resilient. And so um, I encourage people to go to graduate school if you're going to take away, like, how to think. It taught me how to think and, like, critical thought. But is it worth the trade-off of, like, mental health? I'm not really sure yet. Like, I can't answer that yet. But it definitely has helped me in that way. Yeah. How much science would you say is going on in the background then for everything that... For all the educational stuff that you post. I mean, I definitely think it's always there. Like, at least a scientific method is just, like, Mm -hmm. always there. And a PhD taught me the more that you research something, the less you know. Like, the more you research something, the more you realize you don't know anything. And there's, like, so much more information that, like, needs to be accessed. I've been trying to remove absolutes from my vocabulary because our life isn't in absolutes and science isn't absolute. So when people are saying, like, this is the most or, like, this is the best or whatever, I'm like, like, science would say it could be the best or it may be the best or according to this population. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, like, always, like, introducing qualifiers. And then sometimes I'm like, man, I'm going down this, like, hole of, like, qualifying things that I'm like is that really necessary but it kind of is but like I just feel like I just panic when I like make a statement and I'm like except for this and this is only applicable to this and I don't know I just get like overwhelmed sometimes of overthinking but I do think it's necessary when you hold a platform that influences a ton of people or I don't want to say influences but it might be the first time that they think about it or like you're introducing like education or you're introducing a theme that they had never talked about and like if that's the first thing that you're going to introduce I try to introduce it in a way that it can also be challenged Mm -hmm. and probably should be challenged so that you're inducing like your own critical thought yeah definitely I think it also depends on your audience, right? Like, Kiona, you do an amazing job of writing to your audience specifically. And I think that you make it so your information is so easily understandable, but also 
Um, but even so, like you mentioned earlier, Susanna, um, about science communication and how there's this giant community, but really we all have our own population that we're targeting and that we're trying to talk to, right? So we discuss these topics. Sometimes we're all overlapping in our themes or even the same material, but we all explain it in different ways. And I think that's a big part of communication and how we can communicate effectively, right? Because we're all doing things slightly different and it impacts different people and we're still getting across the information. But anyway, yeah, your in particular Kiona really makes people question themselves and question thought that they hadn't thought of before or introduces people to new perspectives, new things, or a lot of things in general that people try to ignore in the world. And I think that that is really like pretty intense. True. Yeah, Yeah, for sure, it definitely does. I've gotten attacked by, well not attacked, but, or maybe attacked, but anyways, <laughs> I've been questioned by other people in the space because they're like, we don't agree with your method. Mm. And I kind of just told them, like, there's different methods to everything. Like, you're catering to a different type of person. So I feel like I cannot speak to humans that aren't at some sort of baseline knowledge. For example, systematic racism exists. To me, that is even a scientific truth, right? Like, it can be proven. with experiment and like legit statistics even with like the logical arguments like it exists Mm -hmm. if we can't all agree on that one truth then like there's no other argument after there's no like just further discussion so some accounts take on just proving that baseline truth which is like systematic racism exists so you're dealing with people who don't identify with facts and i don't know how to talk to those people so i just block them or i remove them from my life but to me that requires a different method like my method is not going to work for them maybe not even the scientific method will work for them because if you don't operate in like logic and truth or fact or hypotheses or whatever then like it requires a different method of relating to that person that i just don't know how to do so when those accounts let me know that like i should be doing that thing i'm like no no like the people that congregate here we all accept like baseline truths so that we can further our discussion do you always have to agree definitely not i don't agree with myself half the time like i don't know what i said yesterday but i probably changed my mind today but like at least there's like some sort of like thread or like knowledge baseline knowledge that like i operate on so i don't know i just think even giving space for like different methods of communication or different methods of teaching is like really really important to meet people on the same levels or like of I don't know knowledge yeah yeah totally um that makes complete sense because like really that's how education works right so to effectively make any form of education we must be able to understand and understanding like what level and what knowledge they're coming to you with right so like you were saying it's hard when some people come to you and they're like hey you should be doing this and you're like no that's not my thing there are other people dedicated to that and the way that you operate is that everyone is under the assumption that there is the basic understanding of things um so you don't have to essentially reinvent anything or like reinventing the wheel right like you know all these people have this baseline knowledge and then you can add on to that and the people that are working with all those people that might not believe in that is really wild to me um but 
also I think that it's really cool that you do this whole thing in your form of communication and like with your stories and everything where every now and then you drop this um, clip that's like hey check out the previous stories on this topic or hey check out this part or hey look at my intro or hey look at this before you engage because I think that helps a lot of people that might be new and like you were saying before and how you were doing this discussion like it helps a lot because a lot of new people come to your page all the time and then there's like coming into like the middle of a whole conversation or discussion that you've been having for like days um, and I think that that's really helpful for a lot of people and just the fact that people are coming to you and taking a defensive attitude or attacking tone totally indicates that they're not really like on that level I guess I feel like that's not the right words to say or like correct but that's the best thing I can think of but basically like the fact that you have that intro thing I think helps a lot with your communication and making sure that people that are within your platform and learning are doing it in a way where they're like really learning or like you're helping to facilitate it because you're you have that constant reminder there yeah I like this health communication conversation that we've transitioned into because I'm taking a class right now that is on health communication and um, recently I was reading about something from the Frameworks Institute. I don't know if um, either of you have heard of this. This is the first time I heard it. But I guess there's just tons of research out there where people study mind maps and frameworks that people have and how this influences behavior or like voting behavior, um, public opinion, things like that. And essentially, the take-home message that I got was, number one, people aren't blank slates. Like People have biases, people come with their own uh, frameworks that they use that so that when they absorb new information, it gets categorized into these mind maps that they hold and that influences how they perceive the world. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting thing is that when a person is presented with facts, but these facts don't resonate with their framework, they're more likely to reject these facts than to change their framework. Mm, that's super interesting. So the, the Frameworks Institute, what they do is they try to provide ways in which scientists can communicate in a way that appeals to different levels of frameworks that people may hold. Um, and they have like different levels, right? And level one is like where you, what, what you should shoot for. And that's like the collective responsibility, the collective morals that people may have rather than the specific issues. So like I could really care about the environment and I could be like, we need to save all the turtles. Why don't you care about it like you Kiona and Diana like you need to care about it but if you don't really care about turtles then you're gonna be like whatever right but if I appeal to this higher moral that maybe we all have is like you know this environment it impacts not only us but like if we were to have a family and it, it impact our community and appealing to those things that we collectively can share ground and care about and then presenting the argument in that way can actually be a way for you to penetrate their mind map and start talking about these things um so that was just something that i learned and i was like that's like really interesting because i think as scientists you get into this hole of like well if people are presented with the evidence then obviously it's clear you have to change your mind but it's like no they're just gonna reject that like if it doesn't fit what they understand already then it's just the facts don't matter apparently yeah i can think of a bunch of voters <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah who have that framework <laughs> Yeah. And it made total sense. I was like, oh my god, this this is like our political situation right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or just science, like institutional racism doesn't exist. Right. Like, do they introduce hierarchies or framework? Or, like, mm-hmm. like one is like underdeveloped, one is developed. Like, I'm just wondering. I'm not sure about that. And I know they use a lot of different like theories and um, they've actually like tested different ways of that people think and how mind maps work. But even, I think if you just look up like the Frameworks Institute, that's just like one big place where they've um they have like different studies i think that they've done and the article i read was like this short like refresher on how to like communicate an issue and they had like an outline where they used a specific example of a health issue to talk about like okay so then how do you use this issue to appeal to higher levels of frameworks so that you could influence a person's decision yeah that's interesting that's good to know (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, So outside of social media land, um, one of my jobs is health communications. And I have been working on these scripts uh, to make these videos that are explaining different fields and different professions and whatnot in public health and what you can do with different degrees in public health. And my target audience is like 16 years old, right? And I've just kind of been starting each script being like, so the world's important and it's neat if you want to help and care about people and the world's health and people's health. But why is it important? I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's hard. Like you were saying before how once you're in academia land and you're talking like this all the time, it's hard to bring it back down. And then also, especially since it's more focused around health, like it's even harder because you're combating all of this like misinformation out there and just to like put an extreme, like some people believe the world's flat, right? Like that's ridiculous. And just that there isn't understanding of scientific truths and like you're seeing it in teenagers and I mean, in all people really. And it seems to be like growing more and more. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing, I think, it's really hard to relate to people if you really disagree with them on a scientific level. Yeah. Yeah, they're just, I feel like everybody operates in certain truths to them. So there's just like some non-challengeable things. And I think this frameworks or mind, mind maps, I think they're used interchangeably. But the, the studies that they're doing is valuable because it talks about civil discourse and what that's supposed to look like. Um and I think I like, Kiona, what you said earlier about how, you know, scientists can sit on this high chair and be like, oh, like, you know, if you're not on my level, then I can't just t- I can't talk to you. And I remember telling myself, like my first year PhD, I was like, I don't want to be one of those people. Yeah. And I can catch myself sometimes being like that because, like you said, I'm always around academics and we talk that way. But I'm like. It's just funny because I'm like, I got into science because I want to, you know, affect some kind of change, big or small. Yeah. And I like intuitively understand that if I want to do that, I need to connect with people. Yeah. But then I get absorbed in this world of like sipping my tea and just talking about issues. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely a hard bridge to make for sure. Um, I am currently trying to publish this book. That was uh, written by Indigenous peoples. And um, we're talking about, you know, how science, our scientific framework is introduced into like areas of life that doesn't maybe maybe doesn't include science is really apparent actually in the articles that I'm reading because I hired um, a native researcher to fact check all of the articles to make sure that I'm not like putting out like each Indigenous author is an expert on their experience. 
but a ton, a lot of time that they talk about institutional racism, systematic racism that affects their lived experience. But sometimes the information that they're getting and have been fed or whatever the case is, they're presenting it. And I just wanted to make sure that they, I'm not, you know, I just want to make sure that it's right. Not their lived experience, but the things that affect their lived experiences. Right. So I hired somebody to go through, fact check all of the claims. So one example is like 70% of crimes committed against natives are committed by non-natives. That is something that I would get fact checked. Or even like the Shinnecock are part of 13 original tribes. Is it 13? Is it 13 federally recognized tribes? Like what's up with the number 13? I just want to make sure that it's actually 13. So I'm not challenging who they are as people, just facts that they are presenting as fact. And yeah, so I hired this person and I'm so glad I hired them because I was like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if I like published this data and it was like completely wrong? So the way that they work is that they verify everything with oral history with the tribes. They verify it with published data during that time. Um, they also verify it with statistics collected not only in the U.S. government, but indigenous methods of collection also. Anyway, they go through this like really intense fact checking by like non-traditional methods also, like both by traditional and non-traditional. And it's really cool to see how the one indigenous epidemiologist that I had write an article had every single fact correct or according to the fact checker but everyone else like wow like lots and lots and lots of changes and i i don't know i'm i'm looking forward to like discussing with them the edits that have been made or the facts that have been checked but i just thought that it was really cool how the epidemiologist she's talking about oklahoma and you know Choctaw nation and how she got she presented it with her scientific background in mind and got every single thing correct. So I don't know. I just thought that how definitely and and to the I don't want to say that this is wrong, but the journalist who wrote for me had the most edits and the sources that they used were not factual. So to me, it begs the question, like, should journalists go to scientific training to learn exactly how to understand the process of sourcing material? Because then they go on to spread fake news and it gets into the minds of people affected by this and, like, it affects real lives, basically. So yeah. I just really think that the scientific method is super, or not the method, but just learning how to think critical thought and, like, questioning your sources is really, really key to, like, presenting in the world if we want to present accurately i'm not even sure if those are like problematic words that i'm using but i just know it helps me <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i often wonder though like we all come from science backgrounds so i think we're able to pick up on specific words or qualifiers right yeah um but then i wonder too like someone who doesn't have maybe scientific background like if you were to give them one sentence with qualifiers and one without do they still understand it the same or do they understand them differently like I yeah I that's real but I do think it's valuable to have like you said not necessarily maybe not the method you know or like formal quote-unquote schooling but just the ability to like critically think and question yeah and not just taking whatever you have in front of you at face value and being like oh yeah great I'm just going to absorb that. 
Yeah, for sure. And then they're like regurgitated yeah. into like memes and then like spread across the internet and it's like completely inaccurate, but whatever. So I and, just like And yeah, and regurgitate as fact, like this is what I learned. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, memes, but I think the whole thing with journalists is that we have to change the way that journalism and news works, right? Yeah. And honestly, I feel like that's a broken system. What is it? <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, the system is broken. I did this like series on like, you know, people writing in on like their PhD experience, which I'm like turning into a massive expose, I guess. But so yeah, I'm collecting a bunch of stories of people who write in that they are part of a PhD program and have experienced this like really traumatic, some at times almost fatal like experiences with PhD programs and like the abuse by their mentors and the abuse by their system. And so many people wrote in, they were like, can't you give us like one good story? Like, I'd really love to hear about like some really positive experiences with mentors and blah, blah. I was like, okay, I can give you some positive experiences, but it doesn't make it doesn't make the system not broken. So yes, you can have a good experience with a mentor, but it doesn't mean that like this mentor has no checks and balances. The system doesn't provide for that. You can't go to anyone to complain about her, whether or not or them, whether or not they were good or not. So it's like same with like, I mean, I try to make the analogy with racism. It's like, yeah, white people are cool. But there's still no system in check so that like we all have equal rights. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter if you had like a good experience with a mentor that's white or whatever. The system is still racist inherently, if that makes sense. So it's like uh, the PhD mentor and graduate student relationship is like such a broken system that like it needs to be addressed even if you have a good mentor. I don't know if you guys agree. I mean, yeah, the academic system... <laughs> is definitely broken. And I think, you know, if there are students out there who are saying, oh, but my program is great. I love my mentor. I love my advisor. I think that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Like, no one's trying to take that away from you. Yes. And be like, why aren't you suffering? There's so many people suffering. Like, that's not... <laughs> right. Um, I think that's great. Like, if you have a great setup, like, cherish that. Because the unfortunate reality is that at least... And this isn't, like, factual, right? from my own lived experience is that that doesn't happen often where someone can confidently say and be like everything is really awesome and I love my mentor and I love my program yeah Um, (laughs) or even if they do they may hate the school itself you know and they're like the only thing that's keeping me here is because I like my mentor and my cohort yeah I've heard that before yeah yeah just everything needs to have checks and balances and there's very little like accountability on every front Definitely. Um, So yeah, we got a little off track there, but it's all related because a lot of sources and for news and science and just information in general is being generated from places with broken systems, right? Like academia, journalism, news, etc. And the fact that news sources and journalists can so easily manipulate statistics or even potentially cite something and then use the information completely inaccurately, like the whole thing with resveratrol and red wine like no red wine isn't what's good for you resveratrol is good for you right and it does come down to the lack of learning how to understand research and the numbers right so like Susanna mentioned earlier does adding in qualifiers make a difference in comprehension for the general public or are they still going to end up glossing over that additional information that gives context to that statistic or to whatever research is being referenced in news, right? So for communication to really be effective, and we've 
touched on this throughout this entire talk. Um, like we have to make sure that we are meeting the audience on their, like where they're at, right? We can't make grand assumptions and be talking to, for example, someone that's 16 at the like PhD student level, right? Like that's just not going to get information to them or they're not going to listen to. They're just going to totally zone out, right? So yeah, I think this has been super interesting to hear how you're working with it in the settings that you are and with travel and with different representation and how like it is hard to step back and step away from the sitting on our throne academia conversations right so yeah like in general we have to become better communicators and better explainers of the things that we work on because otherwise how do like how is anyone going to learn that information right so uh, well, Kiana, did you have anything else that you'd like to add or go back to? Um, just that I'm really proud of you guys for making this oh, podcast. No. Thank you Thanks. so much for bringing me on. Um, people said that they love it. At least they've told me that they do because oftentimes women don't talk about science, especially women of color. So it's great okay. that you're like taking up space. Thank you. Well, we really appreciate you taking your morning to talk to us and share more about your research. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great that we got to do this personally for me because I feel like, you know, I absorb I absorb everything that you post on Instagram. Um, but it's nice to get as much as I just talked about, like, yeah, I get sucked into like the academic talk. But it was nice to talk talk with you in that yeah. room as well. Yeah, sometimes so. it's like cool to just talk on like a different, I don't know, framework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to like use that word from now on. So the thanks framework. for introducing that. <laughs> When you talk about like, oh, we're just like on different levels, it just sounds like so like hierarchical. Like I think framework is a super neutral word, so I like that. Yeah. Or you just yeah. like your mind ma- mind map, you know, we yeah. all have different maps. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Alright, cool. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope you guys have a good day. Thank you, you too. And that's the episode. Thanks to Kiona for joining us. If you haven't listened to part one of our time with Kiona, be sure to check out the previous episode. As a reminder, you can find her on Instagram at how not to travel like a basic bitch. And please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, we're on nine different platforms. And please leave us reviews. We'll print them and put them on a refrigerator. Yes, your support helps us grow. You can also support us by becoming a member of our Patreon page. Susanna and I spend a lot of time making sure our information is correct, but there are only two of us, so if you kept something, please let us know. You can find all the resources from this episode on our website. Feel free to reach out to either of us by emailing globalcaveat at gmail.com or to either of us on Instagram at Cladilus and at Sujani. And a special thanks to all the people who have to listen to us brainstorm and to Cordell Glass for producing our music.